Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber. Uh, futures are just south of flat as stimulus talks on the Hill show few signs of progress. Getting some breaking news right now on Ford. And for that, we'll head to Phil LeBeau. Phil? Carl, there is a shakeup at the top of Ford Motor Company. Jim Hackett, who has been CEO and president of the company since May of 2017, is retiring October 1st. Taking over on October 1st will be Jim Farley, who is the COO of the company. This is a move that had been widely expected. The timing is a bit of a you know, surprise. Nobody was quite sure when this would happen. But it's not a surprise that Jim Farley is taking over for Jim Hackett. This is a company that under Hackett, has not been able to turn itself around. Hackett was brought in. He was a board member. Previously, he had done a great job at Steelcase, the office furniture company in Michigan. And when he came in, he said, look, we're going to transform Ford, get it ready for the future, for autonomous vehicles, for electric vehicles. That hasn't happened. Ford has been mired in really not going, making the moves that it's needed to make since 2017. They're starting to change that a little bit. Some of that because of the moves that Jim Farley has made as COO. He becomes the CEO effective October 1st. And the marching orders are pretty clear. Transform this company. Get ready for a future with electric vehicles autonomous vehicles at some point, not immediately, but at some point. But guys, this is the most interesting stat that I can find. If you go back over the last, what, 20 years, 19 years, only one CEO at Ford, Alan Mulally, posted a positive gain in Ford shares. There you see Hackett's performance since May of 2017, down 38%, similar to what we saw from Mark Fields. And when Bill Ford ran the company, 2001 to 2006, they were down 50%. We're going to hear from Hackett and Farley on a conference call in just a little bit. But guys, this is not a surprise that Ford is finally pulling the trigger and saying, okay, it's time for Jim Farley to see what he can do to transform Ford. Well, Phil, I got to tell you, I think this is a welcome move. Uh, And one of the things I really like about Farley is he actually looks at the stock price. I have found the others have typically said, listen, don't, I don't want to pay attention to the spot. No, forget it. You got to pay attention when your stock's down this much. And he bought, uh, he and his wife personally bought a million uh, dollars worth of Ford in June. He seems like uh, that he is motivated by the stock price, uh, which is something I guess it, it hasn't seemed like that the other CEOs have been since Allen. He's not only motivated by the stock price, Jim, but he is also somebody who is very familiar with what has to happen within the auto industry. The knock on Jim Hackett when he came in is, okay, well, he was on the Ford board. It's not like he didn't understand some of the auto business, but there was never a vision. You would talk with executives within Ford, and they would say, you go to these meetings. He would start with these stories. Let me tell you a story. This is what's going to happen. And the company has been drifting, largely drifting over the last two or three years. Jim, it would not be uncommon on a conference call with analysts that you would hear an analyst say, What's the story? What's the game plan? And when you have analysts openly saying that, and look, we all know that people say that, and you may have people make those comments about executives, but they were openly questioning him on some of these conference calls. This is a company that has been way too slow to transform itself, and that's going to be you know, a a challenge for Jim Farley. It's not like he comes in and they are, you know, really cooking right now. They've got some nice momentum, especially they've got the Mustang Mach-E coming. The Bronco is going to be a hit when it comes out. And the F-Series, it's the best-selling vehicle in the world for 37 straight years. So it's not like they have nothing in the stable. So he's going to have to build off of that. Yeah. 
Phil, I was going to ask you to pass judgment on the Hackett years, but you just did that <laughs> in many ways. It's amazing <laughs> to me. It's been almost uh, over three years since yeah. they made that change. But I wonder, you know, you talk about a lack of vision. I mean, they got rid of Mark Fields, who's now a CNBC contributor. And we wondered at the time about that move. Um, perhaps, I don't know what Ford would have been like if Fields had been able to continue sort of fulfilling his vision. I'm curious as to your thoughts. Uh, I think they were drifting, uh, and they were starting to really drift under Mark Fields. Uh, you had uh, tension within the executive ranks, uh, tension between him and former COO uh, Joe Henricks, uh, along with other executives. So it was time for them to make a change when they replaced Mark Fields. Now, whether or not Jim Hackett was the right choice, it was certainly not a conventional choice, but he is very close to Bill Ford. And at the end of the day, guys, this is the Ford family's company. Yeah, it's publicly traded. And yes, there are executives that they bring in. It's not like the Ford family, aside from Bill Ford, is you know super active. There are some uh, members of the family who are active within the company. But Bill Ford, this company still marches to his drumbeat. And he was close to Jim Hackett. He believed in Jim Hackett's vision for further transforming this company. And on paper, when you listen to Hackett, yeah, a lot of what he said made sense. Sure, you got to get ready for autonomous. You have to get ready for electric. But it just never happened. They were way too slow, certainly much slower than their competitors across the street at General Motors. Now, with Farley, Farley understands the urgency of the moment. And he has been pushing, not just with, with in terms of Bronco, as well as the Mustang Mach-E, he realizes Ford has to move much faster. It cannot be the same company that it's been over the last 10 years. Now, Phil, you did mention that uh, Bill Ford and Jim Hackett shared the same vision. Uh, I got to know, what is Bill Ford's vision? Because to me, when I look at the vision, uh, I got to get new contacts. I mean, the vision seems to be a losing stock price. And and that just can't be any family's vision. Uh, Well, his vision is he understands that Ford has to change. Uh, The knock on Bill Ford as the chairman of the company, as really uh, the man who runs the company overall, he's the patriarch. Uh, the, The knock on him within the company is... He has set people in place, but there are still fiefdoms within that company. Now, he helped Alan Mulally knock those down. It would not be uncommon that you would see people say, well, I've been here for X number of years, and so-and-so says that's okay. That changed under Alan Mulally. And you really started to think that Ford was a company that was going to be much quicker uh, when it came to rolling out products, when it came to rolling out technology. Uh, But then it stopped under Mark Fields. And the big challenge for Ford has been and remains, how do you take this company that's been around for more than 100 years and has these fiefdoms within a huge company that have been there for decades? How do you break those down? That's that's at the end of the day, that's going to be the real challenge for uh, for Jim Farley, too. And this is also remember, guys, he's been there since 2007. You're with a company that long. You understand where those fiefdoms are at. Phil, thank you for that uh, top of the hour news on Ford. Um, we'll continue to monitor it. Uh, our Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Uh, Jim, just as a coda on that, that's uh, three CEO changes in the last 48 hours. Yes. <laughs> uh, pretty amazing. I, I have to tell you, I, I like Farley because um, when you talk with Farley, my wife likes the Bronco. 
And she's saying, boy, I'm glad they brought that back. And you go to him and he says, listen, uh, what does she think for 150? I mean, the guy's a guy at least talk cars. Now, I know you have to talk electric cars. I get the EV. But at least he knows his own lineup. And, and, and Carl, I don't know, but my wife's a real car guy. And she's got a 94 Defender and stuff. She thinks that Farley's doing, you know, that this is the future. And I, I'm glad that they have a guy who wants to talk cars and not like steel case, you know, cabinets and stuff. <laughs> right, okay. right. Um, meantime, uh, for a second day now, Microsoft TikTok continues to be a big story. Of course, the president's comments yesterday about what he called key money. Uh, today, Jim, it's an op-ed in China Daily saying that China will by no means accept the theft of a Chinese technology company and has plenty of ways to respond if the administration carries out its planned smash and grab. Well, I heard you talking uh, with Becky about this a few moments ago. It's hysterical. I mean, they've been smashing and grabbing our technology. Look at the Micron lawsuit. I mean, they, they make us give, they create these bogus, the Chinese Communist Party, create these bogus entities that steal all of our uh, intellectual property. And all the president's trying to do is fight back a little bit. I mean, David, come on. You know that those joint ventures are, are bogus and set up to take information and give it to the Chicom army? Yeah, there is definitely you need to be careful. Uh, you know, you, you'd go down this road a lot, but you also, by the way, Jim, are happy to applaud the success of the business that Starbucks has in China or Apple has in China or Qualcomm has in China. So let's not forget that. But yes, you do need to be extraordinarily careful. And it was years ago that we first reported uh, right here on Chinese cyber espionage of U.S. corporations. It quieted down for a while. It has picked back up in an extraordinary way from everything I hear and Eamon Jabber's reports on this as well. Um, So, yeah, there's no doubt there's a lot of stealing going on. That said, you know, uh, uh, Jim, do you have any idea what the president was referring to yesterday? And I'm sure we have the bite. We can take a listen and try to parse it in some fashion. But what in the world he was talking about with this key money, this key money idea? Let's listen and then we can sort of see if there's any semblance of, of, of uh, competence that we can figure out from this thing. Whether it's Microsoft or somebody else, or if it was the Chinese, what, what the price is, the United States could, should get a very large percentage of that price because we're making it possible without us. You know, I use the expression, it's like uh, the landlord and the tenant. And without the lease, uh, the tenant doesn't have the value. Well, we're sort of, in a certain way, the lease. We make it possible to have this great success. TikTok's a tremendous success, but a big portion of it's in this country. Listen, if you're Microsoft, you're still trying to figure out exactly what that means. You are continuing to try to negotiate, guys, to figure out a value that you want to pay for the TikTok business. There's a lot of, uh, of regulatory things around it. Still going to need an antitrust review, though. Then would expect you would expect the U.S. government would say yes on that front, too. But then again, shouldn't necessarily be connected. You're dealing with the Chinese government. You saw what's going on there. This is not an easy road made even more difficult because they're trying to figure out what the president meant too, Jim. I think the president recognizes that Facebook can't buy them, Google can't buy them, Apple can't buy them, uh, Amazon can't buy them. They're all under fire. Uh, The president thinks that it's just a done deal for Microsoft. And I think he feels like, well, wait a second. I just gave Microsoft the the sweetest deal in the world. Let's have a little kickback to the Treasury. And I don't know if that's so strange. I really don't. I mean, it really is. Come on, David. It's a sweetheart really, deal. Really? In the, in the history of the United States, in the history of the United States, has that ever occurred that you're aware of? In the history of the United States, have we ever had a president like Trump? Honestly. I mean, really? You're going to throw the history of the United States? What is this like? What are you going to talk about? Lincoln next? 
Like Madison? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I, I can talk about typically the fact that even both parties have stayed away from corporate decisions to a certain extent. Now we can get into a long debate about it, Jim, because obviously there have been times when the U.S. government is deeply involved in the economy, and we know, and to a large extent in some of these kinds of things, particularly when it comes to banking. But I can't remember anything like this. Can you? Well, uh, even the idea. By the way, it's not going to happen. It's probably no. illegal and it's not going to happen. But I think it's interesting that you're That's actually willing to defend when Bush. I don't know. Wed Bush today, Jim, says 75 to 80 percent chance this gets done. I think it gets done. I think it is a sweetheart deal. And I understand the president. I mean, the president does think differently from those of us. I mean, I think he's good on this landlord tenant stuff because he's been a landlord. I mean, that's that's, that's you know, kind of a well, sure. good, uh, good back and, and forth then, there, right? Then you got the journal this morning. If it's deemed legal, the key money aspect right. uh, would set a dangerous precedent for the seizure, seizure of foreign businesses open the door for U.S. firms to suffer the same treatment in other countries? You're not worried about that? No, well, because I think that the country that he's referring to steals from us constantly, and this is the way they do business, and it's embarrassing. When you look at the different joint ventures they come up with, most of the companies are made up, and all they do is steal our stuff. This is not... Look, I, I, I'm, this is factual. I mean, again, I'm referring to the Micron lawsuit, which I think is pretty definitive. I mean, I think the president was... I don't think he spoke the way he might, might have meant. I think he might just say, look, there should be... Um, there should be an understanding that the United States is giving Microsoft this gem. But, uh, David, you know, when Constellation Brands got the gem of Corona uh, from the Justice Department, they didn't write a check to the Justice Department. So I, I, I admit it's a little wild, but I am urging you to open your mind to the fact that this is a president like none other. Uh, Listen, well, he's been president now for three and a half years. I'm well aware of that. And yet, these kinds of listen again, I don't think it's going to happen. You could have gone down the road that says we love them to make a commitment to keep jobs in the U.S. or to add jobs, which is a line, of course, that he's gone down many times in terms of at least trying to to get companies to commit to that. Um, you know, as well, that he's talked often about the tariffs on Chinese goods going to the Treasury. I mean, maybe things are getting conflated in some way in his own mind. But Jim, it, yeah, I never cease to be surprised, though. No, but, but and you're right. And my point I mean, is simply that, that it makes it more difficult if you are Microsoft trying to negotiate this deal. This being an added layer of complexity is 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 uh, is not good for certainty. No, Let's no. Just you, what say you that. want him to do is look. The key to this thing is to make sure that Microsoft really operates it, okay? And there's uh, no remaining connections to ByteDance in China. That's what you need to have, and that's what he should be after. That's what he should be focusing on, hiring a lot of people here and have no intellectual ties to ByteDance. I, I mean, I think, look, he's probably watching the show and he might be watching another network right now. But this could be, you know, Mr. President, there, you just got the whole game plan. The key money thing, yeah. no. They Jim, you've been, you, you've been arguing, Jim, that uh, now is we're not, this is not the time to go to war with China in any sense because of our own economic fragility. But it sounds like you're slowly getting dragged in. Uh, I am. I mean, yeah. I don't want a cold war. I want a yeah. trade war. But I just the idea that the Chinese are saying to us, hey, we're going to do this if you do it. They've been doing it for years. The PRC. Right? But you're more hawkish than you've ever been, Jim. I've never heard because you. Because this be, is an insult. I mean, you continue to get more and more. What is the ultimate vision here then? Two completely separate economies, the two largest in the world. Obviously, we are still well larger than China, but that's it. Two no, separate but systems. I, want I mean, where, where does this end up? Field. Level playing field. That's all I want. Level playing field. We're not getting that. Right. All right. So I'm a bigger hawk than Navarro. Guys, what can I do? <laughs> 
We're not done talking about it by a long shot, guys. We'll come back, uh, talk about the market day ahead. A little bit of chop involved as uh, we saw futures swirling around overnight. Uh, dollar a little bit lower today, reflecting maybe some of the stickiness in these congressional stimulus talks. Back in a minute. It is no longer a crisis. This is a five-alarm emergency in which I believe, and I think the 100 CEOs who signed this letter in support of the Restart Act believes that all roads should lead to small business relief in any stimulus package that Congress approves. It's Howard Schultz in the last hour talking about the progress of talks on Capitol Hill, Jim, uh, in this case, uh, relief for business. Uh, Politico is saying this morning that uh, while Mnuchin's trying to work out a deal, it's Meadows who's getting tired of this and will give it another 24 hours, Politico says, before pivoting to some unilateral actions. I think that that's what I hear, too. And uh, I thought Howard was uh, heartfelt, but also very empirical about what's happening around the country. Uh, you can't make a business with social distancing. You just can't. You can't have half of the revenue, but all the costs being the same. It just doesn't work. So in the end, almost everybody goes under uh, who doesn't have a huge balance sheet. And almost no one has a huge. Look, look, Ralph Lauren reported today. They have a huge balance sheet, so they can handle that decline. But any other men's store or women's store, it's independent. I mean, how are they going to do business? David, anybody who's a boutique where you have to wait in line to go in a store in order to have, you know, you can't have more than five people in a store or you can't have more. I, I've got three tables instead of instead of 12 tables at a restaurant. How, it doesn't work, David. It doesn't work mathematically. No. No. Any listen, we said this for months. Any business that requires somebody to come in to do something has suffered, period. Uh, and and it's a it's different levels, unfortunately, of just how bad it is, Jim. But that you're right. Uh, and, and that continues to be the case. We haven't talked as often about the virus of late in terms of states where things are still raging and other states that are bringing things under control. But where we are right now at the early days of August is certainly not where we'd hope to be. Let's call it back in June when we were first coming out of this thing. And those businesses continue to suffer greatly. Right. I, I do think, Carl, that the game plan had been that it would diminish in the summer. We had a lot of people who talked about that. Things could go back a little bit to normal. Uh, now you're all scrambling. Uh, there's three tables in front of the Capitol Grill on 42nd Street. But there's about, what, 50 tables inside, maybe more. And, and so, Carl, I, I just think that the clock is, as Howard correctly said, we're on the clock. Uh, and you can't restart these businesses. They're just going to go. Yeah. Uh, in just a, a day after that incredible Times piece about the number of small businesses in New York that are already on their way toward going away forever. Uh, pretty discouraging. Take another break here, guys. Uh, get ready for the market day ahead. Squawk in the streets back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. A lot of Google news this morning. There was that six part debt offer yesterday at uh, some of the lowest rates ever. The EU delaying its uh, deal for Fitbit, uh, asking for some uh, remedies by December. Pixel rollout, uh, new partnership with Google Cloud and Best Buy. We'll get to all of that when we come back. Let's get to a mad dash as we count you down to an opening bell about three and a half minutes from now. And Jim, interestingly, you're doing a name that I was focused on this morning as well. So glad you're going to uh, at least deal with BP in the last three, in the next three minutes or so. Not just the lack of earnings or the cut in the dividend, but this pivot they're making to trying to be carbon neutral. It's pretty yeah. extraordinary. They're an oil company. 
and they want to be carbon neutral. That's okay. Yes. I get that. I get that. One time, Exxon owned <laughs> Vidac. They owned a tech company. Okay, David, get this, because the market never ceases to amaze me and how stupid it is. Uh, in February 4th of this year, Bob Dudley, on his way out, boosted the dividend uh, to 2.4% to 10.5, uh, 10 cents, 10 and a half cents, okay? That's Feb 4th of this yep. year. And the stock went up 4.5%. Well, look at this, David. They cut the dividend in half. And the stock goes up 4.9%. Will you please explain <laughs> yeah. that to me? Please, David. Is that any different from the I key money thing I that I couldn't explain? This, with the president, the key money. Oh, God. Back key to money that? for me when my yeah. mom gave it to me so I could go buy a, I don't know, Del Monte right, fruit exactly. cocktail. But this is unbelievable. Yeah. How can the stock go up on a dividend boost and go up on a dividend cut? And the answer is because they don't know what they're doing. Is the they the investors or no, BP? No, the oil company. I mean, the, I'm sorry, the carbon oh, okay. neutral company. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to. They, what well, is their plan? They have a plan. They do. They have a plan. By 2030, they want to be well advanced on what they're calling their five aims, five aims that they set out in February to underpin their ambition to be net zero by 2050 or sooner. Why don't they they're shut 30 down? 35% they of the way on aim one. And which is absolute reductions in operational emissions. They're spending $5 billion more. Remember, they spent $500 million last year. Now they're spending $5 billion in investments in low carbon by 2030, a tenfold increase. Jim, they're trying to pivot. They're yeah. trying to attract all those investors who won't invest right. in a fossil fuel company. Maybe, right. it's, maybe it's generating some enthusiasm. I don't could, know. Could be solar. It might be beyond meat for all I know. I mean, this company is kind of lost its way entirely. <laughs> Remember, now look, I'm not talking about, I didn't mention Maconda, right? I never bought, I, I did not once mention Maconda. Uh, but this is a rather yeah. extraordinary thing, and it shows me Dudley uh, felt the business was really great, so he raised the dividend. Now they think it's really great, so they cut the dividend. And uh, the idea of them being carbon, I mean, I understand if like Microsoft wants to be carbon neutral, but they are, in the end, an oil company. I don't know if you can maybe you flare less, but there is a, a kind of a basic wow. oxymoronic approach here, which is that they could shut down yes. right now and be carbon positive. Neutral, they could. Right? Listen, but maybe, maybe by 2050, Jim, they won't be they won't be an oil company if, if anymore. They, they will be an energy company, but not an oil company. How about they distribute all their properties? They close. And then at that point, they are, you know, they they can reverse everything that they've done to the to the oil environment. Why not? This is, mm, I don't okay. know, man. We have so many companies doing stupid things. It's just, I'm trying to get my arms around them. Although I am pro-environment. Yeah, but you say it's uninvestable. This sector's uninvestable, but at right. the same time, you're criticizing them for trying to make no. themselves investable. Well, no, that's not going to make them investable. What would make them investable is profit. <laughs> Growth. Look, I don't want a tuna. I don't want a tuna with good taste. I want good taste in tuna. Charlie. <laughs> Carl. I'm giving up this morning. Here's the opening bell, guys, uh, in the S&P 500. Being led this morning uh, by uh, a couple of different names. Well, Boeing's up 1%, Jim. Interesting. Uh, Booking Holdings um, announcing plans to lay off about a quarter of its 17,000 workers. Even as TSA traffic, Jim, on Sunday was a uh, post-COVID high, almost 800,000 people flying, way above the low back in April, which was 87,000. Yeah, I had uh, 
I, I had Clarks on last night, Ben Adour. They, they've got a deal with United Airlines uh, that makes me feel like I'd fly United. I mean, it's about disinfecting. It's about making the, the plane clean. I have no fear of flying right now. None. I, I think anyone who does does not realize the combination of mass and disinfectant have made it so that if you're afraid to fly, I think that you don't recognize that it's I, I find it safer than going into any elevator in a high rise in this in this in this whole country. So I think it's going to come back. It's just it needs to be more things to go to. I mean, that's the problem. Things to do when you get to where you have to go. But they, these these airlines have done so many right things. And remember, there are two million, two million people who worked indirectly with Boeing. We don't want to lose that industry. We're going to lose in the small business. But I have tremendous faith in the airlines. They have, they, with the mask enforcement, I'd fly on any one of these. I, honestly, I mean, my daughter just, uh, just flew from Spain. Uh, no fear. Everyone had a mask on. So yeah. it, that's what needs to happen. It's, it's go, game on. Airlines. No one? You guys don't right. agree? But David? your point is the right one, Jim. There's... Where are you going is the question. I know. Um, and the only other thing is you're going to face delays while they escort people off the plane who refuse to wear a mask, which seems right. to be happening uh, all too often. Yeah, I want to do this United Arab Emirates where uh, there's a flight to Milan where they're going to be testing you. It's a fi- it's Friday night flight. You land in Milan. It's fantastic. You can go shopping if you're allowed to shop. But, of course, Americans can't go. We're off limits in all the British Virgin Islands right now. We're off limits in the Caribbean in a lot of places. We are, we are not welcome. And uh, so that hurts no. flying if you're not welcome. Carl, you, there's a lot. Uh, and of course, you know, we're not, we can't go everywhere. People don't know that. Nope. Nope. Um, Vegas running into troubles, as we know. And then, Jim, tonight with Disney, uh, maybe we'll get some uh, guidance on how at least they view the progress of reopening parks. I hope so. I mean, we, want to know, we know one thing, that if you want to. You want to be COVID free, you do what, what uh, Adam Silver did with the NBA. I think it's remarkable. I mean, I don't think any, if you watch the NBA, it's almost as if there is, there's never been COVID. You have, to take those, you have to take those precautions. And it's really terrific that we can see what, what happens, what it could be like if we beat this thing. Uh, but Disney, I think, is saddled with a lot, of, a lot of things that are really right in COVID's crosshairs. I mean, maybe they can tell a good story. I don't know how they're going to do it. I really don't. I don't know. Guys, um, yeah, they were, it, it's it, no, it's it, listen, I'll, we'll also be interested to see what they have to say. Uh, you know, again, we've been following the delay of any key theatrical releases from the company. Obviously, by far the largest single producer of movies right. um, is is Disney with the Fox studio part of it as well. Now um, we want to see what they have to say about ESPN, to your point, and sports programming right. overall and, and the health of some of their networks. And, of course, we're going to be focused clearly on direct-to-consumer, Disney+, Plus, which thus far has been uh, exceeding expectations uh, by a great deal and certainly seen as a positive, but still consumes a lot of capital, guys. It's still in the investment mode right now, and that's why the company's had to add, what is it, about $17 billion in debt over these last few months as it dealt with, of course, the current conditions that it's facing. Unprecedented conditions, by the way for a company like Disney that it's never seen, as has been the case for so many other companies as well. Well, I, I think that if you want to know when entertainment works and what's fantastic on your screen, it's what Take-Two produces, whether it be Grand Theft Auto, NBA 2K, uh, Red Dead Redemption. I mean, look at the numbers there. Strauss Zelnick is from the movie business, and they've got lifelike figures. Uh, the NBA players love it themselves. Uh, that's a chart of a company that has entertainment brought right to your home that is wildly in favor 
And I think that that's where you go. I mean, Grand Theft Auto is the greatest, greatest selling entertainment uh, individual piece of all time. And Carl, I, I don't know whether you're a gamer. My nephew who writes the show with me is a gamer. And the Red Dead Redemption, a lot of people feel he feels was the greatest single artistic work ever. <laughs> uh, people talk about it like that now. Of course, Take-Two did raise their full-year guide, Jim. Uh, and it sort of reminds me of this call out of Jeffries today regarding AMD, in which they argue that uh, Intel's uh, trouble engineering-wise are systemic and that that's going to accelerate AMD share gains. They go to 95, upside 135. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, AMD is the big winner, along, along with, of course, NVIDIA. And I find that when I look at what happened with Intel, it, it, it feels it's very Ford-like. If I've actually they own, the best thing that they own is a, a company that does autonomous driving. But I, I just find that Intel's this is an engineering business. And they're not engineering well. And Elisa Sue, by trade, MIT-trained engineer, worked with a great Rick Hill, who uh, sold Novellus, uh, and I think has a tremendous background. Obviously, uh, Da Vinci over there at, uh, at NVIDIA, which is what I call Jensen Wong, is just crushing it. And a lot of it is because Intel has fallen off a cliff. They couldn't do the 7 hmm. Nano. It was amazing they couldn't do the 7 Nano. It's the greatest, it was the greatest engineering company of our lives when it was run by, uh, by Andy Grove. No question about it. it, it Carl, it's, right. it's really so an American put, like, story. Ford, Ford, Intel, IBM, I mean, what else? GE, other giants that have just been lapped by younger competitors? Yes, and it's been done. I mean, I know uh, Dave Cody in his uh, uh, Winning Now, Winning Later book, which is really great for Honeywell, just talked about the need to have to blow up your stuff constantly. You just constantly have to reinvent, but you also have to cut. And you have to get rid of divisions that look really good at the time. And I don't think any of the companies you just mentioned are really um, capable uh, of doing that. Mobileye was a brilliant acquisition by Intel. But where's the, you know, where's the beef? Uh, they should. It is very, very. I'm not saying they're BP where David seems to think that it's a good pivot into uh, trees and whatever. I don't know what they're doing. But it, it, Intel is a tragedy. Intel's uh, when I went to the opening of the, or the plant in Ireland. Oh, my. It was one of the greatest days of my life. It was so beautiful. I went to the Israeli plant, and they had nobody working on the Sabbath. Oh, my. These places were wonders of the world. Now they came to the 7 nanometer. I don't know, Carl. They have, uh, they have, they're not who they used to be. That's who they are. They're right. not who they used to be. I don't know. Sad. A little sad. You still keep going after BP. Meanwhile, Jim, I don't uh, know. You know, I, I'm going to BP. Going to BP. They raised were, the dividend in February. Mr. I thought you were Mr. Carbon Neutral. I well, thought I, you no, were all about the trees. Oil, I thought oil. you were like a trillion tree guy. Like I am. Oil, a, what's a, going three on? trillion trees, and we bring the country, we bring the world back to where they, maybe we even get the. Why don't they go clean the plastic in the Pacific? That's what they want to do. I don't know. BP is like it's an oil company. And they, they were very celebrating. They were celebrating oil in February, and now the trashing oil. You can't switch like that. You, you can't. Well, somebody's somebody's going to have to make the pivot in that industry at That's, some point. Somebody and be potentially rewarded for it. Again, I come back to the fact that you talk about this. Industry is being uninvestable. You've said right. that. And You've been that's right been dead to say right. It it's been about as right as rain. And I, so I don't understand what changes your viewpoint, because you seem to be saying it based on the fact that so few well, 
uh, there's a growing a group of institutions who will not invest well, in this why business. Does it have so to there's have, just not that many incremental dollars that would come in and buy Look, if you get a you get a six six hour Honeywell's got a nine hour uh, battery they're developing. If you get a nine hour battery battery from Elon Musk, who's right now in charge of the world, what is BP is absolutely right to pivot. It's just that I don't know. Maybe they should pivot to something entirely else. I like I don't know, like fast food or something. Speedway. David, you love that Speedway. Speedway. By the Speedway. way. Yeah, you know, the, that marathon came back yesterday. Again, it was up. We were talking about it. It wasn't moving at all. Then it no. moved up. And then it really didn't end the day up very high. I guess there's some concern on antitrust. Uh, and look at it today, uh, that it's going to take a while, that 7-Eleven is going to have to divest a certain number of, of, uh, of locations. Um, not what people had anticipated, Jim, given they got a number there, $21 billion, uh, that I think was unexpected. Okay. And that may have been very much above the cover bid, from what I understand the as well. So the they did 20, great in the auction. Yes, the company's a $24 billion market cap. It yields 6.23. Um, it's got this tremendous deal with, with, uh, with 7-Eleven. Uh, I just think it's, it's one of the, remember, it's refining, so I don't hate it. Look, I hate the oil companies, David. The refining can be a good business, cyclical. But I think right. the stock is mispriced, but I'm wrong right now. I mean, I know on Twitter I'm wrong because people have told me I'm wrong, and they are really the sages. There's a lot of Warren Buffett's in there. And uh, also, I, I, Portnoy has not criticized me. Not one, he's not, not ah. let him glove on me. No, no, as he shouldn't because you are his greatest promoter. One would expect that he would be very uh, thankful to you. You're very critical of me today. I come on. You know, listen, nobody, you, I mean, just so people know, because I think we need to remind them, we are the dearest of friends, and I have the greatest respect for you, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to disagree with you. No, that's and yes, true. yes, I am disagreeing with you this morning. Yeah, Carl, I've got, I've got to tell you, I'm glad you're with us because I think the disagreements could turn into a thrill or a manila or a rumble in the jungle. <laughs> right. I, I, don't, I don't think we're in any danger of fisticuffs at this point. Um, Is that going to be like Jim, Roy Jones Ralph and Lauren. Tyson? I mean, yeah, that'll Ralph be great. Lauren. Oh, <laughs> right. Ralph Lauren. Okay, so Ralph Lauren's going, moving as hard as and pivoting as hard as can to direct to consumer. The actual stores that they have that are not closing are doing well. Uh, they got a fantastic balance sheet. They got more billion, what, 1.7 billion in cash. Uh, there's a lot to like here about an iconic brand, but at the same time, they missed. Uh, uh, Patrice Louvet has got a strategy to, to pivot dramatically to personalization and to online, uh, but it takes hard. It's hard to go on the channel in a, in, a, in a heartbeat. And remember, they do have a lot of clothes that that are a little too formal these days. Uh, they've got a, a they've got a whole line of clothes that I think don't work for people who just sit at home and pick their toes. So I, I, I but I do think that in the end, Patrice Louvet is the right right man. Uh, $4.7 billion seems low for the most iconic name in, uh, in apparel other than Nike. But the, uh, the dogs won't eat it. They're really crushing it. I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a tale uh, to a large degree of physical retail, which reminds me, David, uh, Facebook uh, closing the lease of 700,000 square feet uh, at the uh, Farley Building yes. in Manhattan, Vornado's landmark. Uh, terms not disclosed, but kind of curious that Facebook would go ahead and close on this when uh, the situation at hand would suggest they may not use all of that space. Yeah, I mean, given the comments from Mark Zuckerberg on the conference call last week that he sees as many as 50 percent of Facebook's employees working remotely within five to 10 years, and I think I'm quoting him correctly, you would expect perhaps they would be looking to decrease their footprint. 
Very interesting and certainly being talked about a lot in commercial real estate circles this morning and, and at least a sign of some confidence for a New York City, which is just getting crushed in so many different ways. Um, you know, young people want to still be together. You, you, you can't create what? a culture without people being what? in the office. People can't advance. People can't advance without being it together in some way. It's sort of, what are I you, don't a, think, Jim, why do you disagree with psychiatrist? Young people uh, like to be together? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, they want to. Yeah. You don't think they. Yeah. You don't remember being in your 20s because it's, you know, it was a so gin, long ago. It was but a, yes. a, a gin-soaked haze, candidly. Um, but no. Yeah. I mean, I work with Jim Stewart, Pulitzer Prize winner, every day. And yeah, I get it. We did like to be with each other. It's fun. But that's not what it's about, David. It's about profit. Profit. Okay. Well, then Facebook must think that it benefits from having some people in the office because they're spending the money to, to lease the 700,000 plus square feet at the yet to be fully built. That's the Farley Post Office, by the way. McKim, Mead and White, famous landmark. They tore the one across the street down, that disgusting right. building called Madison Square Garden. That was also beautiful once, but that was the old Penn Station. Anyhow, not to go too deep into uh, architecture, Not but that architect. is going to be a, a, a new building, beautiful, and that's where Facebook is going to be well, housed. They need, they, look, they, they have a presence in media. You, you have to be in New York for presence in media. Maybe they wanted, Maybe this is a signal that they're moving in another direction, too. I don't know. I mean, look, it's not like BP going in the business of making trees. I mean, Facebook can pivot a little and do more media. Right? They're growing, still growing very quickly, and yeah. they have a growing employee base well, they, and again not everybody is that excited about working out of their parents basement or working from some house somewhere when certainly when you're in your 20s and you're trying to get ahead and you're trying to meet people and socialize how oh, many people right. met their spouse at cnbc how many people i think i'm the only one who didn't uh lisa didn't <laughs> lisa was in real estate um, uh, but you know, look, right, Facebook. Okay. Facebook wants. I, I think that Facebook wants to help small business. This is the capital of small business. We forget that this is not Silicon Valley. You want to help small business? You do it right here. You plant the flag, small business, and that is where they're going. And that is the right thing to do. They're not going consumer product. Obviously, they do have a boycott. But if you're going to do small business, and you listen to what Howard Schultz said today, I think it makes all the sense in the world to take the Farley Building. And uh, David, for 10, Farley. Who is? What about Farley? Well, you know, it's a, it's a Jeopardy. Who thing. is? Who's the? Oh, uh, I don't know. The new CEO of Ford. No, no. He was a FDR guy. <laughs> Do you know what a Bronco is? Do you know what a Bronco is? I mean, don't say horse. I, I think I'm, I'm the judge. I'm going to rule David's answer was correct because oh, it was. Oh, Carl, you threw <laughs> it to you. him because um, you know that he feels bad about that young people liking each other than the psychiatric explanation and then liking BP's pivot to, I don't know, uh, Tyson Foods. They're going to buy Tyson Foods. Make a complete swing. You, I don't think it's me this morning, my friend. I think it's you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, guys, let's um, get to Rick Santelli this morning as we're watching the dollar and yields and tips. Uh, Rick, good morning. Good morning, Carl. Yes, there's actually a lot of movement. Uh, the issue with treasuries is most of the movement globally is in one direction. Yields down, price up. Look at a one week of tens. You know, about an hour ago, we were back up 54, 55 basis points. We have drained back down to what is currently the all-time low yield close, around 52 basis points, as you see on that one-week chart. 
If we shift gears and aim across the, the pond, we see that the boons in the eurozone are hovering around minus 54 basis points. Open that chart up to May 1st. Yes, they're hovering at a three-month low. And if we look at what's going on in Italian yields that are at 96 basis points on their 10-year, they're hovering at five-and-a-half-month lows as that chart starts February 1st. So we see that this global push, of course, uh, really central banks to try to react to, control, uh, nullify some of the uh, aspects of the economic negatives of the coronavirus, of course, are bringing along a host of other issues along with it, uh, debt and low yields. And yesterday, as we discussed, Alphabet, their multi-tranche issuance of debt, well, $10 billion. And it was at the all-time lowest yields for each tenor, each maturity, whether you're looking at the 40-year, the 30-year, every one of those was the lowest yield ever for a corporate security of that maturity. Unbelievable. And if we stick with the theme of high yield and investment grade, here's a Barclays spread chart of both of those year-to-date. We're not quite at the levels we were at the end of last year, but boy, we're getting quite close to historic uh, narrow uh, with regard to especially that investment grade aspect. But high yield, you know, under 500 basis points, a victory by any standard. And finally, foreign exchange. Carl mentioned the dollar index. Here's a chart going back to the last few days in July. July ended with a 4% drop in the dollar index, but August has been a bit kinder, although the bounce is small in comparison to the move of July. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick. Thanks. Uh, Rick Santelli. Take a break here. Uh, Obviously, a couple, a little bit of chop here to start the session, although financials are one of the worst performing sectors down six tenths. We're back in just a moment. This last fiscal year, which we've just closed with 10% sales growth, which by the way, is the highest organic sales growth we have had in modern history, is that all four segments grew double digits. So we're seeing broad-based strength. And it's certainly in part a function of the fact that our products and brands are serving so many more consumers today in the face of the pandemic and people staying at home. Ben Odora with Jim last night. Jim, uh, we certainly know uh, your admiration for what how he has positioned Clorox for the future. Well, it's incredible. Also, I mean, geez, it seems that the pandemic, of course, uh, the only way you can kill the really COVID most definitively is with bleach. But every single one of his divisions is up. And that's extraordinary, whether it be Burt Bees, whether it be Hidden Valley Ranch, whether it be Kingsford, because people have to uh, do charcoal. They uh, do outside dining. Uh, the Centiva new bags, which smell great for trash cans. I mean, this was just one of the greatest quarters ever. And I know that they they created guidance, which is kind of almost flat to down. But people aren't buying it because they know that the company's a juggernaut. Uh, this was his last quarter. Uh, I do think that he that uh, Linda Rendell's going to do a fantastic job. She's got great international experience, which is what they really need. David, they managed to avoid being acquired and, and became in 107 years, I think, that maybe be the most organized and maybe the most exciting consumer packaged goods company there is. Yeah, and to your point, they resisted any of that and and have uh, in terms of selling out and capping a stock price that would have been far lower than where it is today. Exactly right. Good for Benno. Sorry to see him go. What a what a tight. Yeah. Uh, guys, uh, free market didn't look so strong, but you got Alphabet, Amazon, and Apple in the green, that's one reason NASDAQ's up. We're back in just a moment. Seeing a little activity here 
in uh, travel-related names, take a look at uh, Carnival up five, Royal Caribbean up four. And we mentioned TSA traffic on Sunday. Almost 800,000 people flew uh, this past weekend. It's a post-COVID high for traffic, and the airlines are reflecting that as well. We're back in just a moment. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. I've got a quandary. Chegg was perhaps one of the best beats ever. Jim runs this way. That's the company online books, which is really incredibly important for college. And it was a beaten raise, 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 raise. And the stock was down six. I think that's quite mistaken and could even end up up. That's how big that quarter was. And I, I don't recognize what, what the hell happened there, but it shouldn't be down. There you go. I still remember uh, Rosenzweig coming on the show when it was at three, Jim. Yeah, what a story he, that's been. He cried. Yeah. Um, he said he was going to do better. And he did. And you had to buy it on his crying. He's the only person who's ever cried on the show. Sincere man. <laughs> friend of friend of A uh, high emotional quotient. Yeah. Well, he certainly de- delivered. And tonight, oh, my, I've got B&G Foods, which is like a Clorox. And then I've got someone who's in better shape than David Faber. A man who looks half his age. Strauss Selnick. Strauss Selnick, right? Yes, it is. It's Selnick. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Take we, two do we have a shot of his abs? Grand, yeah. Grand Theft Auto is yeah. the greatest. I'm not kidding. It's the greatest entertainment. Uh, Bob Iger would tell you that, that there's never been anything in entertainment as great as Grand Theft Auto in terms of its gross. Biggest grossing entertainment of all time. It is. We should have a workout uh, program where Faber and Martin Franklin and uh, Strauss all compete oh, Franklin, in some like, sort of Olympic event. Franklin's like, listen, I just did the Cross Sahara Run, and I'm going yeah, to the Gobi Desert, like but in the meantime, I've got a lot of negative things to say about you. <laughs> you can run 60 miles in the desert. Strauss has written books about it. I don't know what I can Strauss do. Strauss said it was ostrich meat that helped it. him. And maybe I'll pull up. He yeah. has a six-pack, yeah. but people aren't drinking beer, according to Diasha. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 